0: Hi, I'm Zibbie Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. We made it to another Friday, everybody. I hope the week was okay for you and that everybody's feeling good and staying safe and just making it through one day at a time. I hope you have taken a few minutes in your busy, busy weeks with your kids and your families and your loved ones or even by yourself or whatever and read the website I just launched called We Found Time, wefoundtime.com, which you can also find on zibbyowens.com, which is featuring exclusive essays, all original content written by authors who have been on this podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books I hope you enjoy reading them they're about all the different things moms don't have time to do like have sex work out eat breathe read. Hopefully you can relate and you'll enjoy them. Also I hope you've been checking out my Instagram live show, which I'm calling ZIGTV, and that's on every day, Monday through Friday from 11 to 12. So I'm hoping my new content has been helping you through this quarantine. Feel free to reach out to me, Zibby at Zibby Owens, and please join my newsletter which you can find on my website, ZibbyOwens.com. You can sign up there so you don't miss all the new essays that will come out each week, which I'm hoping will help you all in, in different Ways I know everybody connects differently to different materials, so enjoy it, and I hope you've had a great week. I hope that some of the authors I've been bringing to you have helped in some way, and thanks for sticking with me. Have a great weekend. I'm here today with Ashley Prentice Norton, who's the author of novels The Chocolate Money and If You Left. A graduate of Georgetown and the Creative Writing Program at NYU, she currently lives in New York with her husband and three children. So welcome Ashley, thanks for coming on Moms so Don't Have Time To Read Books. Thank you for having me. Of course. Let's talk about The Chocolate Money first. Okay. That's okay. So could you please tell listeners
2: what that's about? Well, it's sort of about your standard dysfunctional family with money and bad parenting. And I won't go into sort of the characters and stuff like that because everybody knows the arc.
0: It was so good. And as I've told so you before, nice. I've had it for years since when,
2: when did it come out? I can't remember. 2012? 2012. I 2012. Think. Yeah. And I read it actually with my book group. That is amazing. That's like amazing to hear. That's so because you hear people say, I loved your book. And then you're like, did they read it? (laughs) Yeah, no, I read it. It Of course I read it. No, and it was. And this book came out forever ago. I'm like, are you sure you want me on your podcast? You don't have to be played. And then I realized, like, this is a big deal. This is a big deal to be on your podcast. I'm really grateful.
0: Oh, don't be silly. But. It's even better that I read it a long time ago because now I don't have another book that I have to read. Exactly, <laughs> so exactly. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't do more of this. <laughs> Let's go through all my
2: past books. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: So when you wrote The Chocolate Money, what inspired you to write this book? This was your first book.
2: This is my first book. And I guess, I mean, people ask if it was autobiographical. I do have a really colorful mom. And that's kind of what got it started. I mean, I, I guess at the time, I didn't really have an active imagination. And, you know, I think the... Tone in sort of the book, I think, was very true, but there was a lot of sort of I'm 17 vibe to it and what did my parents do to me wrong? Mm-hmm. And now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, my God, this <laughs> is how I'm parenting, you know? And my mom, thank goodness, has, I think, forgiven me because people who yeah, don't know to. her thought every single word was true, you know, which which it wasn't.
0: So in the book, you talk about the mom character is Babs. Yeah, and exactly. She is a larger-than-life character with these giant parties and just over-the-top everything. Yeah. Um, that is alternately funny but also sort of crushing to the character in the book. Right. Like, to have a mom like that. Right. And then I read that after it came out, so she stopped talking to you. Exactly. Because she thought it was all about her. And there well, were some people did people thought. Yes. See, I would feel like for someone who I'll go on a limb and say maybe a more, like, narcissistic type personality. Right. That they would, like, love that.
2: Well, I guess, but it was pretty harsh to have your daughter. I mean, I guess if my daughter wrote a book like that about me, I'm not sure I'd read it because I feel like, okay— It's your interpretation. You know, you're like, I would read it. No, I'm Um, thinking if my daughter wrote a book like that about
0: me, I would be so upset. Well, exactly. exactly. Any book about me that wasn't completely 100% flattering. I'd be like,
2: you're out. (laughs) Well, now that I have changed her, you ruin my life. I hate you. I'm the most neglected because I have three. And so there's all that going on. And so I'm like, oh, my God, that's what I was like. And now that I've been you know, done the work or whatever, went to therapy. I'm just talk about therapy, but I just am kind of like, you know what? You've got to get over that. You're almost 50 years old. And there's a lot of good stuff there that I, you know, I'm picking on certain stuff, but there's so much good stuff. And my mom has like, such a sense of fun and she's so stylish and the things that she did, like people weren't doing like, the, the best thing about my mom is. She doesn't care in the the good sense. You know, she wasn't saying, like, what do people think of me? She had, like, a freedom. And I didn't give her credit for that. I was, like, looking at my side of the story always, and I I just have such a better appreciation for it. And I I don't judge anybody's parenting anymore. I really don't, because I've seen some kids that have— developed major like issues, problems, struggled. And I see these parents and they are trying. They are in there working hard. And it wasn't, and the kid will say, oh, it's because I didn't have a good nanny. You know, I mean, these are like just kind of gross things. But anyway, I just, I I feel like I'm far less, I try to be far less judgmental.
0: I feel like the more kids I have, the more I doubt my own influence over their development at all. Oh, exactly. I I feel like they, maybe like 80% of them is completely out of my control. They just are right. what they are. They're like born that way. <laughs> and uh, I could mess them up. So sometimes right. I'm like, it's like first do no harm type of parenting. Exactly. Like, just don't ruin this kid. And she's well, already exactly. And so, you
2: know. Exactly. And work, I try to work from the point of kindness mm-hmm. and just taking a breath. And that really helps when I don't yell. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a yeller, but just bring my voice down. And, you know, and I found it an arguments. Somebody told me once people aren't listening to what you're saying, they're listening to what they're saying, so it doesn't matter if I'm like this. I say, you know, you sound really upset that you thought I was doing this, and it's kind of our culture now. It's like the kids always right. Mm-hmm. and but then they my kids kind of come around, and then um, when I ask like the child, like, you didn't get me the Valentine's I liked, <laughs> really. Anyway, so that's been, it's made my parenting a lot happier when I don't try to argue with them about their feelings and their perception of what kind of job I'm doing. Because I'm confident in the, well, I know I'm doing the best I can, you know.
0: And Ashley, I did not know this whole part of your history when before I was researching yeah. you for this podcast, and I didn't know that you had had manic depression and that you had been through all of this stuff while yeah. a parent. And even the headline of this article that you wrote in Redbook called Mom Interrupted, the headline I'm just going to read says, Manic depression pushed Ashley Prentice Norton to the brink of suicide. It took six months, her husband's love, and 17 rounds of electroshock therapy to bring her back to her kids alive. Oh, my gosh. And then, of course, the article follows, which was, like, insane. And this is the best quote I thought. After you sort of come through it, you write, Now when I play the simple melodies of family life, getting my girls' tights on in the morning, brushing my son's hair, deciding on a restaurant for a night out with my husband, each one sounds to me like a perfect concerto. Even when we're all dead tired, frustrated, or fighting, I can still hear the song.
2: That's so amazing. Well, the irony of that is the concerto and song part my editor wrote. I love your editor. <laughs> She's a editor. She's such like, a great writer. She put that in there, and I was kind of like not sound like me oh, no. and the music so thing, funny. so I, I'll have to tell her because she put that in there. And she's brilliant. She's a great. She's a good friend of mine too. So I'll have to have her on. Next. <laughs> exactly. She's great. She's an editor, not oh, a writer. I love she's, her. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying she's a good editor. So, but the you, feeling was yours, which is exactly. that you
0: appreciate the everyday moments now so much more. So tell me a little more. What was
2: that like? And I read about it, but tell. It was. Brutal. I'd had a mania, and then I fell into this depression. It just snapped like that. It turned, and I literally could not watch TV. I couldn't read books. We went to a play once, and it was half over, and I was like, okay, great, time to leave. And I I, I couldn't. And I couldn't sit through the wrap, but I, I did, and then I would kind of drop the kids off at school. And what else happened? I mean, literally— I, I don't have memories. It mm-hmm. just they're wiped out. And finally I said, I have to I have to go. This isn't working. And I would go and I'd talk to people who went there. I was like, it's going to get better. And this lasted for two months. And it was just brutal. And we tried everything and different medications. And one time I thought, I'm like, I'm going to get out there and do something. Because people were talking about exercise. So I went to SoulCycle. <laughs> and a friend of mine started it. And so I'm on my bike. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying. And then I left. And I get home. And Elizabeth had sent me a plant. Like, that's how bad I looked. Like, she could tell that she was just like, I, you know, I was like, I thought that was a good day. But yeah, and tights were terrifying getting the clothes on and, I couldn't t- anyway. So finally, I just said, I have to go to the hospital. We have to try something else. And I'd heard about electric shock, and they don't know anything about it. It's like turning the TV on and off, kind of rebooting a computer. So, but the hospital was terrifying too, because I would see the TV and it was house, you know, and there's like this creepy man with the cane. I couldn't watch it. I'm like creeping by there. And so, anyway, we tried this and it's in the article, but I was just terrified because they strap you on this thing and they put this thing on your mouth and you can't even see the person that's administering shocks. But every time I would wake up and they would say, please let it be gone. Please let it be gone. And it wouldn't be gone. Ugh. And so I got out of the hospital. I don't remember this really. And it wasn't really gone. I mean, my brother, when he got married, I had to leave the ceremony after the ceremony was going get in bed and ask my husband to bring me some wedding cake. That's how sad it was. Anyway, so I tried to get out. I got out of there, and I was still feeling down. But finally, it got got better, and finally I recovered. But it took a long time. It was a year before I could read a book, and that's my life. And it was a mass market. The only thing I can do, this is really weird, I could write. That's the only thing I could do.
1: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help dot com slash moms don't have
2: time. And I finished my book at my brother's wedding, like the day I landed, October thirty first. And so bizarre, right? Wow. So I guess that did get me through. It was the only thing I could do.
0: That's who, amazing. Who knew? Yeah. So that's when you were writing the chocolate money? Yes. And then you wrote another novel after that. Yes. Which, wait, I want to, wait, I'm not done with this. I'm not done with this part of your life because this is so, I mean, tragic, but so inspiring that you could get through it and (sighs) that
2: you had to deal with your kids at the same time too, right? I mean. It's a blur. I mean, but the thing was, my husband said, which I didn't know. I mean, family members flew in, friends came in. We had a huge support network. So he wasn't, I mean, he's a rock star, but. He was telling me this because my daughter sadly said, "You know, at five years old, she just remembered this, right?" And and you know, you know, it impacted them obviously. But you kind of for me, I was like, didn't really want to have a conversation. And I was here if they wanted to bring it up, but I kind of felt it was narcissistic in a way to be like, "Let's talk about me and my depression." Like maybe when they were older. But I kind of and maybe that was the wrong approach. But yeah, so I finally finally came out of it. But yeah, my 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 book was a mass market paper back at Target that I could read. But yeah, I wrote, I wrote The Chocolate Money and finished it during this.
0: It's like how you hear about so many artists that have manic depression. Don't, isn't there like a whole history of different artists like that that it it comes hand in hand with like massive creativity? Well, I, I was thinking about
2: this, and I think that's a flawed premise. Oh, okay. I take it back. I think... People have this conception that when you're manic and you aren't, you feel invincible, you feel creative. And most of what, and a professor pointed this out to me, what most of what's produced is like gobbledygook. You know, I filled a whole notebook with my impressions of Talented Mr. Ripley and that movie. But I mean, my my think is, my theory is, if you're brilliant to begin with, like a Picasso or Mm -hmm. something like that, it can open up. Then, but if you're not brilliant to begin well, with, yeah, it's, it's not, not going to make you no, brilliant. No, I didn't mean to suggest. Well, no, no. But people think, like, if only I'm depressed, if I could oh, be a no. writer. <laughs> people do. Really? Yeah. Oh, and, you know, for me, the, it was just really detrimental to my writing. I read some of the stuff, and people were like, get to the point already. Because mm-hmm. I was manic when I was writing it originally. And then when I got depressed, I kind of, that's when I finished it, and I wrote a lot. This is a really stupid question, no. and
0: I am—I was a psych major way back when, and I feel like I'm pretty well educated. But bipolar versus manic
2: depression—it's the same thing. I prefer manic depression because bipolar is a little cleaner and PC. Okay, but it's the same thing. Okay, I thought so, but yeah, then I was exactly. like, maybe it's
0: not. Maybe no, it's a- the—it's the same thing.
2: Okay, wow.
0: Okay, so to your second novel, so you have this book, which is amazing. And by the way, I, when I was, when I remembered it, I was sure it was a memoir. And then I was like, wait, does it say a novel (laughs) in the bottom left corner? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) First book, you know, rookie mistake, whatever. No, it was so good. And just really captured what it's like to feel that way as a young child and how it ends up shaping your life. Yeah.
2: Then what made you write your second novel? Well, this is funny because I sold it. I wrote an outline. And it was going to be about a nanny working with a mom who was, it was based on basically a mom that I know. Her child drowned when she went inside to get a drink or something. It was unbelievable. Like, how do you get past that? And I was like, i got to write about this. And so, I don't believe in, like, stealing somebody's story. It wasn't that. It was just, like, that scream. I can only imagine coming out and seeing that. So, I was going to write about sort of this and how the mother was manic. There was a bad nanny involved who was an entitled kid from New York City. And so my agent sold that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I started to write it. And then I'm like, well, I don't know how to make this happen. And I totally changed it. It was totally (laughs) different. And I didn't bother to tell anybody, like my editor or Bill. Bill Clegg is my agent who— I could give a whole interview about him, but he was really—he's
0: coming on my show. Oh, <gasps> yeah! I have, Does his he have book a new right book here. coming yes, out. Yes, wait—I have to find it. It's right here. The end of the day. Oh my god! Yeah, do you see it? Oh, yeah, here, happy it's right roads.
2: Here. All happy roads to yeah. often lead to Bill Clyde. The I mean, I have a day. funny story about him about his, the chocolate uh, money.
0: His his oh memoir. my Does of everyone? A, ha-
2: oh, portrait of portrait an, an addict of an is so. An Good. Oh, my gosh. Was, anyway. So he was like, Ashley, you can't do that. And I said, well, I did. I said, well, it's finished. And he said, well, you're going to have to call Lauren because I'm not calling her. I said, fine. So I call her and I said, Lauren, there's good news and good news. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, I finished the novel and it's much better than the original novel was going to be, which I, I really felt it was. And so she was like, okay. So then she, she really liked it. Oh, <laughs> I feel like you can't do that. You know? But it's like, it's not nonfiction. I mean, I don't write from outlines. It's just, that's kind of how, I mean, I cringe when people say process, but that's kind of how I write. I just you just sit down what, and do it. Well, I just see what happens. I don't believe, like, my characters take control or whatever. It's just the way my mind works and the way you just don't know. You go for a walk in the woods and you don't know where you're going. So when you write, do you
0: just write whenever the mood strikes you?
2: No, I believe in somebody told me this or I, whatever, maybe one of those artist way things I love. And I believe in timed writing, but like three hours. Somebody told me I have a cousin who's a painter and she said, you can't do any more creative work more than three hours. At least she couldn't. So like that's a good time. You go and you sit down for three hours and then you see what happens. If you write one word, that's your three hours. If you write and that way you don't get caught up in Twenty thousand whatever word count is. So that's what I do and I try to do it four days a week and I go down to the writer's room. Oh, okay. I, oh my God, I'm obsessed with that place. I haven't been there. It's amazing and they have a nap room and they have a kitchen and it's you can eat at your desk it's amazing. But I just my thing is I think you should leave your apartment because mm-hmm. then there's no I should leave my apartment because then there's no well I'm going to tidy up or my mm-hmm. kids are there. So libraries are great. I do the New York Society Library, I've been to the main library, I've been to the East Hampton Society Library or East Hampton my Library. So that's really important for me. Those are that's my tip about so don't wait at least for me, you know. I mean, if you wait for the mood to strike, anyway, for me, it's never going to strike. But I also feel like you shouldn't push your, I shouldn't push myself if I'm not in the place where I can take on four days a week or anything.
0: So are you working on anything now? Well, I'm
2: working on something I call creepy guys who do really bad things. <laughs> 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 so which just, I want to get, I've been reading tons of British psychological thrillers. Okay. So like Lisa Jewell. Who yeah, ha- yeah. So I really want to break into that genre. So that's kind of what I'm working on. So I've been reading tons of books about that and like character studies about creepy men who do <laughs> whatever, who do creep, whatever dangerous things. I don't know what the title is. That's not going to be the title, but you can see where I'm that's going That's a funny with that. title. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds great. Yeah. So you, and you're doing your whole 12 hours a week
2: or how many Well, not right for? now. I'm do, I'm still kind of researching and thinking okay, about okay. it and stuff because I tried it before and I was like, mm, I don't really know. But now I'm like, ask me anything about creepy men who do bad things and I can tell you.
0: So do you worry you're going to go into another mania or depression or do you feel like you have it under control? Like, I feel like I know from my past times, like of any mood swings or, you know, am I going to go into this? I'm more like, have more anxiety than anything, but uh-huh. is this going to be like, am I going to have it under control? Am I not? Like, do you worry about that? Like, I don't.
2: You don't? Because I really believe in the mind-body connection. And okay. I think if I'm sitting around worrying about it, it'll probably happen. And I have great doctors. And so if I feel a little bit coming on, we tweak the meds. And what's the use worrying about it? I mean, I can't do anything about it. I mean, I'm, I'm careful with my sleep and my diet and exercise and trying to keep I mean I'm lucky that I'm not working a job that's huge stress um, I have one daughter at home so I can leave a like nap so what am I going to do you know <laughs> I mean you could feel a totally different way I mean I, I get I mean, it. I love I mean your I've attitude, come but... to the point in my life where I you know they say I, I know that 90% of stuff I worry about or even higher never happens yeah So I'm trying—I mean, I'm still a huge worrier, but I'm trying not to do that. I love that. My dad called it catastrophizing or scripting. You know, why do that? Yeah. Because worry really doesn't cause anything. It doesn't help.
0: I know. I know that. (laughs) I I know, logically. Right. Yeah. I'm working on it, too. I feel like I'm getting better as I get older. Like, mellowing out a little bit, (laughs) I hope. (laughs) I mean, kind of. Do you have any other
2: parting advice to aspiring authors? A.M. Holmes once said to me, She doesn't have writer's block because she doesn't believe in it. She's like, there's no such thing, which helps me. I already said, go somewhere else. Writing is the good part. You know, publishing, it's a whole different thing. They're they're two, they're bifurcated. So, and if you don't have to do it, don't, if that makes sense. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's something that you, like, you don't do and you're kind of like, I really should be doing that. It's more painful not to do it than it is to do it. If you're writing, if you're really believing yourself as a writer, you'll feel pain when you're not doing it and you know that doing it is the right thing, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your story. Sorry for delving into your <laughs> emotional state no, and asking you all these no, personal questions. Not at I'm all. sorry. So but if it helps
2: somebody, you know, that's, yeah, that's great. All I, that's my yeah. yeah. Somebody who knows somebody or Yeah, that's yeah. been the only reason now to really share it. Yeah. And your books are so good. This book was so good. Oh, thank you. Seriously,
0: so I'm just so thrilled that... Get to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Zibby. Uh, I really you. appreciate it. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks again for listening today, everybody. And don't forget to check out wefoundtime.com. And it's also available on zibbyowens.com as a tab, but also at wefoundtime.com. Check out the essays and go to Instagram at zibbyowens and check out my Instagram Lives 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. every weekday, Monday to Friday, during this quarantine where I interview four to five authors live for a few minutes each. Please check it out and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbieowens.com.